we, we, um, we're going to transition into the Word, and we have, a, we have a special treat for you. So I want to welcome up my friend, uh, Pastor Tamsanga Neta. Tammy and, uh, and his wife, Natasha, uh, they have two, two amazing boys, and they serve so faithfully in this church. Uh, they serve as, uh, as lay, lay pastors and in various ministries, including into, into marriages. Um, and uh, Tommy comes from a, 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 a stock of pastors. His, <laughs> his, uh, his dad is a pastor, um, always somebody who's carried the word of God in his heart from when I first got to know him, which was in 2005. Mm. Um, so we praise God for long uh, and uh, sustainable relationships. Um, would you please welcome Tammy as he brings the word for us this, this afternoon? Wow. Um, he, he left a lot out there. Um, when, uh, what he hasn't told you is when I was getting married, 2011. It'll be eight years in a few weeks, actually. Um, when I was getting married in 2011, um, he was standing next to me. And when he got married the next year, I was standing next to him. So... Uh, we've, we've known each other for quite a while. Uh, he keeps me in check. Um, <clears throat> one of the perks about being newly ordained is you get to taste this pastoral water. <laughs> I, always, I always look at it and wonder how it tastes <laughs> and checking it from the side. So I'm always like, wow, um, what's happening? But anyway, uh, I think it'll be a good idea to pray, yeah? When God's house praying is probably a good idea. Most high God, ruler of heaven and earth, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you that nothing is too hard for you. We thank you that, Lord, you are able to do exceedingly abundantly above what we ask or think. Thank you, Lord, that you say in your word, as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so you surround those who love you. Father, we thank you that we have nothing to fear because of you. And, Lord, we take hold of your word right now and embrace it wholeheartedly. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. You know, a lot of the time people actually take the Word of God for granted because they narrow it down to the Bible, right? And I can give you a typical example of what I mean. See, this shirt here is made of cotton, I hope. My wife bought it, it could be polyester, but I hope it's made of cotton, <laughs> right? And cotton comes from a plant. And that plant exists because our great God said, let there be. So His Word physically surrounds me. The automobile you came in today is made out of iron. Steel, more appropriately. Steel comes from iron ore. Iron ore is a rock. And that rock came about because God said, let there be. So literally, the Word of God surrounds us every day. As we work, as we dress, as we drive, as we walk, we are embraced by His Word. So when we declare the Word of God, we're not just speaking to a space somewhere that doesn't exist. We're speaking to actual physical elements because they are a derivative of Him saying, let there be. So it's important for us to embrace that. So when you read your Bible, when you dig into the Word of God, recognize that you're not only engaging in a spiritual act, you're engaging in a physical act, which is why we can stand against principalities and powers and rulers of this dark world. Because we speak what? The word. But yeah. Anyway, last week, uh, two weeks ago, Pastor Simon spoke about foundations. And this is a recap. 
and he was speaking about how important it is for us to have spiritual foundations. And sometimes, you know, my, my wife works in Santon, uh, and every day, for whatever reason, we decided we drive into work together. I thought she thought that was romantic, so we do it. Right? So, so uh, yeah, there's no place to hide when you're in traffic in Santon with your wife. Right? And, and we, we sometimes drive past this building called the Leonardo. And this is now a tall building. It's a hotel. It's amazing. It's high. It's tall. We look at it. It's great. But for the two years prior to that, it was just a hole in the ground. The, the people who built it, the engineers who built it, took two years just building the foundation so that the building wouldn't collapse, so that we, we could walk into that building and be safe. And our lives are the same. When we don't have solid foundations, when the storms of life come and they come, yo, they come, we will fall over because we are not solid in the Lord, right? So it's important to have foundations. Last week, uh, the commander-in-chief of the 12, the 12 Accord uh, spoke about lordship. Um, a lot of the time, you know, people speak about uh, salvation. So they're, they're happy to accept Jesus as their savior, but struggle to accept him as their Lord. Right? It's the same way how people always invite you to their church, not to their Jesus. Right? It, 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 we, we then have to embrace that. That not only is he our savior, he's also our Lord. And that was a challenge to me. Uh, this week, we'll be speaking about the big three. And <laughs> these three generally challenge most Christians. In fact, I've had the privilege of teaching foundations courses for probably four or five years. And these three are the ones that people struggle with the most. People don't struggle with the concept of God or the concept of the cross. People struggle with the concept of sin, repentance, and forgiveness. So today we're going to dig deep. I'm going to give some theology. And then after that, we're going to have some examples. Then after that, we're going to have fun with the Lord. Is that okay? Is that everyone? Okay, great. Uh, Pastor Lerico, the way I'm dressed, Pastor Lerico challenged me to like stop because I wear suits and stuff. So he said I must like dress down. So I just wore old school J's. <laughs> so, so I hope uh, I'm not offending any deeply uh, tie-wearing Christians. Um, <laughs> hey, look, uh, look, hey, we must, uh, terms and conditions apply. I'm now, I'm now under authority. I was a rogue before, but I'm under authority. Okay, what is sin? And because of time, I'm going to give you the summarized tummy version of this, all right? In John chapter 8, a group of people decide to bring, and they're trying to test Jesus. So they decide to bring this woman who was caught in adultery. Ironically, you know, basic biology tells you adultery is not committed by one person. So I'm always, it's always odd that they brought the woman to me. Um, why did they not bring the man? You see, nothing new under the sun. Um, <laughs> So, so they, they bring this woman caught in adultery. And it's also odd, like, was it a trap? Like, where they like, wait for it, wait for it, boom. Like, it's, it's such a weird thing. Like, I just find, if, if you read the Bible, you know my elder son, he says something to me. He says, Dad, why, why are people in the Bible always dying? Jesus is dying, Goliath is dying, people are just dying. You know, so like, if you read the Bible, like, and you read it in its essence, like, it's just ludicrous. Can you, so where were these guys, like, outside the room? Like, were they waiting? Were they, did they, could they see? Were they in the roof? Could they hear sounds? Like, what? Uh, it's, I think they needed salvation more than the people who were, because they were observing and setting a trap. But anyway, um, 
this woman gets caught, they bring her to Jesus. And they say, look, um, by according to the law of Moses, right, this person's committed adultery and they should be stoned. So Jesus does another weird thing. Like, it's so weird. He goes, oh, that's what you think. Okay. He just starts randomly writing on the ground. You're like, Lord, like, have you, like, guys, I encourage you, just read the Bible and put it on the lens of just today's world. Like, imagine you, imagine you, you come to this guy and you say, this person has been caught in this act, and so my bend on my knee and just start writing on the ground. Like, a part of me believes that um, Jesus was probably writing some stuff that they didn't want to see. But anyway, he starts writing on the ground, and they keep questioning him. And they're like, we need to stone her. She's committed a sin, right? And Jesus then says, okay, fine. And he continues to write on the ground. And then he says to them, he who without sin cast the first stone, right? So he brings conviction to them. But oddly enough, part of me, and this is not in any Bible school, so don't quote me, right? I actually think Jesus was writing some of their crimes down. I actually think he was writing down, oh, you. Oh, that thing you stole. Oh, that time you cheated on your wife. Oh, then the guy drops his stone and leaves. They say, oh, you. Oh, that time you gossiped about whoever. That time you did this. Then they drop their stone and leave. And these guys all drop their stones and leave, right? And, and as, sorry, as, as they leave and walk away and Jesus says to the lady, those who condemn you, they, where are they? Right? And it's a, it's a true reflection of our life that largely condemnation is not a public act, it's a private act. We condemn ourselves. Right? We know when we've sinned. It's not a public thing. Right? So Jesus is showing her that even you yourself know this was wrong. But these condemned guys have gone, but I don't condemn you either. Which is the next lesson, that Jesus isn't in the condemnation business. Jesus is in the restoration business. Right? And so he says to her, go. And not only just go, stop living a sinful life. Right? So what is sin? Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Anybody who went to Sunday school knows this scripture. Anybody. Right? Um, but what does that actually mean? So in both texts, he said Greek and Hebrew, the word sin means missing the mark. So in essence, God has a plan and agenda for your life. When you came onto the earth, he was thinking about you. How you came about is not the issue. It's that you came about. Right? And the way you live your life, if it's not in line with God, it's missing the mark. And that is called sin. Right? So, so it's not conforming to God. Now, the funny thing is we make that sound like conforming to God is the worst thing in the world. It is actually the best thing in the world. Because the, the Bible even goes further. It says it compares it to hiding under the shadow of his wings. Like, yo, our scripture is so poetic. Man, it, it's amazing. It doesn't say hiding under his shadow, right? It's literally under the shadow of his making God seem like an eagle or a big bird that is concerned about your safety, that is flying over you, ensuring that nothing evil comes to you, right? And that's what Scripture compares God's love to. So conforming to God 
lining up with him is the best thing for you. Here's another definition. Uh, this one I found quite challenging. I had to spend a day or two praying about it. It says, whatsoever is not faith, or not of faith, is sin. And the Bible speaks about the, Greek, the three big things, faith, hope, and love. Right? So when we stop believing, believing in God and his word, we then, in essence, are in sin. Right? And this is why the enemy likes distractions. Whether they be image or violent, he wants us to doubt that God is real. He wants you to not believe. Because when you believe, you are in sin and you miss the mark. So we must always be aware of the narratives we embrace. The things we say are true. Because when we embrace things that are not of the faith, we miss the mark. So what does Jesus do? Jesus shows her mercy and tenderness. At no point did he address her until the people who were condemning her were gone. If you notice that scripture. He, does, he addresses the crowd first. And this is what Jesus does in our lives. He comes in and gets the nonsense out. And then when it's gone, he deals with you. Right? He acknowledges her actions are sinful. So he doesn't let her slide, right? He doesn't like, oh, the people are gone, chairs. He's like, hey, what you were doing wasn't right. And you see, what's even more so, the fact that they brought her, she knows it, right? And he also recognizes her context and shows compassion. Because in Jewish culture, in general, women were not allowed to work, in general. So women, in essence, were largely dependent on men. So men had an abusive influence over women. You can tell by the example of them bringing her, not the guy. Sometimes I believe maybe that guy was a chief priest or something. Who knows? Right? And, and he recognizes that context. He recognizes her vulnerability, but still calls out her sin. So your circumstance is not a reason for you to sin. Right? It's not a reason. As much as God loves you, your circumstances, regardless of how tough they are, difficult they are, they are not a reason for you to sin. Jesus recognized her difficult context, recognized who she was as a Jewish woman, and still said, go and sin no more. Right? Here's the, 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 the difficult bit. The power of sin is in secrecy. The moment she got caught, the power of that adultery was released. The moment she got caught, right? So the power the sin has over you is because it's a secret. It's something you want to hide. And you therefore have shame. And that's the power we need to rebuke over our lives. Because whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Those who wanted to condemn her, they saw their own sin. And this is Jesus, Jesus loved doing this, especially to, he calls them the, I call them the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the teachers of the law. Fancy names to say people who knew stuff but didn't know God. <laughs> right? And sometimes as us Christians, we, we memorize scripture but we don't know. You know the most scariest scripture? What the, you know, the Bible says we will approach him one day, end of, our, end of our lives, we'll stand before him, judgment, and we'll say we did, we, we preached in your name, we healed in your name, we fed people in hospital. We, we did, and he, he'll say, S, one line, I did not know you. 
That is the most scariest thing. Because it means that you're, you're capable of doing the right thing with the wrong heart. Right? Which is why the Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things. Because you're, ab- you're actually able to do righteous things with a wicked heart. <laughs> so we need to address your heart. Right? We need to know that not only are your actions right, but your motives are right. Right? So, so it's, it's not good enough for me as a man to march on the streets and fight against violence against women. Those are actions. But if my heart is not wounded, if my heart is not hurt, i got a problem. Your heart must be right. right? And, and we all here come every Sunday to meet just for heart surgery. That's what we're here for. We're here for heart surgery. When we leave out there, we're going to live. We're going to show people that the surgery I had on Sunday, you need it as well. He showed sin is not necessary to survive. It's not a justification. Right? So why do we sin? We sin because it's pleasurable. It's as simple as that. If it wasn't nice, we wouldn't do it. Right? It's that simple. And, and, and we have to watch that because we are predisposed to pleasure. In fact, I could even go far and say we're predisposed to comfort. Right? And this is what Jesus... Ca- like, I always wonder, like, if Jesus walked into the church today, would he see himself? Because may, may Jesus, when he, when he was around, there was no ushers, there was no chairs. People didn't meet on Sunday, they met on Saturday, they read out of the scrolls. Like, all we have today, there was no worship, there was no guitars, none of this was here. Right? But yet, there are people who were found to have a heart for God. So sometimes our comforts drive us. And we have to be aware of that. Because that's the crack the enemy drives a bus through. And he will drive that bus, count that. But the consequences, you know, the wages of sin is death. Now everyone, when they read this, they sometimes shrug it off and... They think, oh no, I'm quite far from being in the coffin. But what is actual death? What is actual death? Death is being disconnected from God. Do you know why? He said, I am the way, the truth, and the... So if you're not attached to him, you are dead. You're withering. Right? And this is what sin does. And it doesn't even say the cost. It says the wages. It's like... You know, the the salary for sinning. (laughs) So the paycheck for sinning is death. It's complete detachment from God. Which is why we need to learn how to repent and to repent quickly. Right? I'm rushing. Uh, Oh, my slides are bad. Sorry about that. Anyway, what repentance is not? So we're going to delve into repentance now. So you know, we just transitioned. So, yeah. <laughs> Repentance is not confession. Right? A lot of us like to confess our sins and think that's done. It's not done. You've just told us what you did wrong. <laughs> right? Repentance is not confession. Confession is part of, of repentance. It's you acknowledging that you are sinful. Or you've committed a sinful act. Right? So it's step one of repentance. 
Repentance is not an apology. My, my young son, three-year-old, he figured out pretty quickly that when I'm upset with him and he says, sorry, I calm down. So what he started doing is he would do something wrong and just say, sorry, dad. I realized, okay, so your heart is not changing. You just figured out, if you say sorry, I'll be good. Right? And this is what we do with God. We're like, God, I'm sorry. My bad. I was wrong. That's not repentance. That's an apology. God doesn't do apologies. He does change in your heart. And it's important for us to recognize that simply saying sorry is not enough. So what is repentance? I'll read this scripture, or at least the first bit. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. It's partly a problem. Anyone who's ever bride meat knows what this is a problem. Right? If, you're, if you are living, you don't want to be near fire. So being a living sacrifice is a tough job. It's a very tough job. Very tough job. Right? Because it, ah, ah, we, we don't want to be on the coals, right? Which is why it's important. That's why Paul writes, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. You actually need to die to self. The reason why it's a problem for you to overcome your repentance or to overcome your sin is because you're still alive. You're still alive. And until, Jesus even said, unless a grain of mustard seed goes into the ground and dies, it will not, you need to die to yourself. You are not the best person to govern your life. We, we like to think so. As Pastor Lerico said last week, we have a sneaky suspicion that we are God. <laughs> right? So what's repentance, right? It's you, you take an inward look at yourself, you review, you have remorse about what you've done, and you commit to changing. So it's three parts. You confess, you have godly sorrow, and you change. What great at one, average at two, terrible at three. And I'm not, I'm all, all the fingers are pointing at myself as well. Right? We need to work on change. It's important. So, godly sorrow brings repentance. Right? That leads to salvation and leaves no worldly regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. So what's godly sorrow? You don't make excuses. You take responsibility for your actions. See, the, the Christianity is amazing because all this is applicable to every part of your life. You need to take responsibility for your actions. Right? Recognize you were the one who it was you. Oh, no, it was, no, 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 bruh, it was you. Right? You, don't, you don't blame circumstances or society, and you acknowledge, which is the big one, that your sin is primarily against God. So yes, there may be a human being between you and God, but you doing what you did affects your relationship with God and you've sinned against Him. Right? Worldly sorrow, complete the opposite. Produces excuses. You're sorry that you were caught, which happens with my own children. They need Jesus. <laughs> Leads to the covering up of sin, sin also known as shame. Right? And here's the, the, the kicker. Comparison of our sin with others, minimizing what we have done to look better. 
So I lied. My friend cheated on his wife. I'm okay. You're not okay, bro. You are the same. And the nice thing about God, sin is sin. He doesn't have A great sin and Z is great sin. Sin is sin. So if you think you're special because you're just, you know, sliding in that extra printing at work and you think you're better off than the guy, <laughs> hey, hey, let's have a conversation. You know what I mean? Woo, I used to print books. Hey, God chowed me about that. <laughs> I used to print them, boy. Oh, um, but yeah. What is forgiveness? Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. Jesus said unto him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but 70 times seven. That's a lot. And other translations even go per day. <laughs> so, so it's, it's, and that's a quick note. The Bible doesn't have versions, it has translations. People like to say versions, like the 2.1 Bible or 2.3, like... Just translations, not versions. But anyway, that's a theological debate for another day. Uh, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servant. Actually, let me summarize that quickly. Uh, so what happens is Jesus tells a story. There's this king has this gent who owes him money, a stack of money. And he calls him in and says, you need to pay, right? And this guy says, Lord, I don't have anything to pay. Then the king says, okay, throw him into jail, take his kids, sell them as slaves, take his wife, sell her as slaves, which shows you the imbalance of that society as well. Eh? The man gets into the debt, but the women and children become slaves. It's just, yeah. Sometimes you've got to be grateful that uh, the quality of life you live is somewhat decent. Um, it was tough for other people back in the day. But yeah, it's another history lesson for another day. Um, and, and what happens is then he begs the king, and after begging the king, the king then forgives him. Says, okay, that's fine. I've covered your debts. Go away in peace. He jumps out of this room, goes around the corner. He sees this guy owes him five bucks. Right? And he grabs him and says, pay me what you owe me. Right? And he then takes this money and forces this guy to pay him. And the other servants observe this. Key lesson. People are watching what you're doing. Just throwing it out there. The moment you say you're a Christian, big red dot on your back, people are watching what you're doing. So, so he, go, he, he, go, he, he, he takes this money, harasses other people here, see the story. Then they go back to the king and said, King, remember that gent you forgave? He harassed one of our colleagues for five bucks. Uh, and the king swoops in, grabs this guy. And we catch up, he says, you wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have compassion on your fellow servants just as I had pity on you? So what's the lesson here? We have been forgiven much. We must forgive much. And sometimes we think we haven't been forgiven much because maybe you grew up in a Christian home or you had a relatively decent upbringing or whatever the case is. The fact that you didn't know the Lord and you lived your life as if Jesus was not Lord means you've been forgiven much. Because the cost of living that life was death. So you were rescued from death. You were in the ICU. You thought you weren't because you were like, I'm living on a right life. I do a few things in the community. I give money. Nah, just to let you know, 
You were dictating that. You were driving that. It wasn't the heart of God driving that. Because you see, when we drive things, we drive them within the realms of our comfort. In the realms of what makes us feel good. So it may look sacrificial. It may look great. But you derive some pleasure from it. But when it's God asking you to do stuff, you may not even see the output of that thing until you get to heaven. And we have to embrace the fact that there's some stuff God is going to ask me to do, I'm never going to get any rewards from here. Ever. Ever, ever, ever. It's a tough thing for me uh, to, to accept, but I must accept it. And it's another weird thing about having kids, right? Uh, sorry for those of you who don't. I'm not trying to be funny. Um, the weird thing about having kids is that they make you think about the long term very seriously. Suddenly, you start thinking about 20 years from now. What will I be doing? How will I support these people 20 years from now? My dad always used to laugh and say, and you know when parents speak in vernacular, it's real. Right? <laughs> like when they're speaking to, well, African parents, when they're speaking to you in English, it's fun and gay. The moment they go into vernacular, it's real. And he, he always used to say to me, you are going to leave your, the house, but your bills are going to stay with me. Right? And, and it's, it's, it's part of that stuff. You think about the future. Right? You start thinking about the long term. And you need to think, start thinking about eternity. That there's a portion of your life that's going to be service unto eternity. Yeah. Not unto today, not unto tomorrow, not unto your 70th birthday, but unto eternity. Yeah. So anyway, um, he then throws this guy into jail. And the Bible doesn't even say jail, it says the tormentors. It freaks me out. Like the, some of the vocabulary in the Bible, my God, tormentors. And I'm supposed to read this stuff to my kids. Phew. <laughs> <laughs> So, what is forgiveness? This is, this is a, and, and Jesus is on the cross. Like, literally, they're nailing him. And, and crucifixion, I read up on it, apparently is one of the largest elements or one of the most excruciating torture methods that was ever used. Because you hang there. You literally hang there and you die. Right? You, you actually rot and die. And in that moment, Jesus says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. You do not know what you are doing to Jesus when you sin. And yet he forgave. So anyway, forgiveness is the act of pardoning an offender. And Jesus is an amazing example. He pardoned all of us. He took on all of our offense, all of our shame, and he took it. Like, I always imagine myself, like, I, I'm not too sure outside my wife and my kids who I would be prepared to die for. Not too sure. To be honest with you, I'm going to be vulnerable. I'm not too sure, right? Person comes in here with a gun. Like, am I like thinking about anyone else besides my immediate family? But here is the Lord. Not only was he willing to die for those before, he was willing to die for those after. Those of us who weren't even born yet. It is like... Boggles my mind. I'm glad I'm not God. Shoo. <laughs> so, so the point is, because God was willing to forgive, we must also be willing to forgive. Right? Forgiveness is not, one, agreeing with the offense or the wrong committed. Right? 
Because a lot of us feel like when, when we forgive, we're actually typically agreeing with what the other person did to us. Right? Or, more importantly, what we did to the other person. But hey, um, we're not agreeing with that. We're not saying it was right. What we're saying is we're letting it go. Right? Stating you have let it go, but hold bitterness and resentment in your heart. So again, it's a heart thing. So you saying I forgive you is great. Yeah, thanks. I'll walk away fine. Right? But do you actually forgive? Have you let it go? Which is tough. But we're going to get to a method to which to deal with this. So what are the elements of forgiveness? Or for others? So when you have to forgive. Acknowledge the offense and the pain it's caused. And a lot of the time we don't do this. We want to quickly get to the solution. You know, there's a whole book in the Bible dedicated just for this. It's called Lamentations. Like, it's dedicated to us just saying, this thing hurt. Like, you must just read that book. It speaks about the hurt. You know, my, my young son, three-year-old, this guy, whenever he's offended, hurt, his brother beat him up, whatever. Like, he cries, eh? Like, he cries. Like, he knows you are not hearing him, so he cries. Right? And he cries until he feels you've understood him and he's pacified. Right? And to irritate the heck out of me, ask my wife, I do, yo! And I finally got to a point where I realized that he's lamenting. He wants that thing to exit him, he's feeling it. Right? He's young, but he's feeling it, he's feeling the offense. And he wants to cry over it and let it out. And it's an important part of forgiveness. You have to lament. Right? The, the, our nation will not heal until we understand this. We can't jump to actions quickly. We can't rush to do things. We have to lament. This thing is wrong. There are people with pain. They must be acknowledged. Right? Secondly, recognize that you yourself have been forgiven much by God. Right? And then thirdly, which is very important, recognize that through the love of God, you have the power to forgive. So the power to forgive doesn't rest with you alone. It rests in the love of God. The reason why all of us, all of us struggle with forgiveness largely is because we want to do it in our own strength. But when we embrace God, the Bible says in Romans 5, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. It's God's love that enables us to forgive. Elements of receiving forgiveness. Confession of our sins and repenting. Two, recognize that you've sinned against God. Right? And three, accept God's love, mercy, and grace. This is also a, a, a difficult one for most of us. Because we judge ourselves in our own eyes. We look at ourselves in the way we think we are seen in the way other people tell you they see you. You don't even know if they're lying, but you just accept it. Right? And, and that's a challenge to us. And, and, and this, this scenario actually cost the children of Israel 40 years. 40 years. The spies were sent out, 12 spies were sent out, they come back, and the crazy part, they come back, and these guys saw the pillar of cloud by day. Every day. Like you're walking around, there's a pillar, there it is. 
pillar of fire by night. They were eating manna from heaven. And ten guys come there and say, those guys are too big. We're like grasshoppers in their eyes. And they shrivel. My God. We think fake news started yesterday, huh? <laughs> huh? They say we're like grasshoppers in their sight. It's a cra- and crazy thing. Two guys stand up and say, no, nah, we can take these guys. God has given us the ability to take them. Right? And had they accepted God's love, mercy, and grace over their lives, they would have not spent 40 years in the desert. Because God had to get rid of a generation, a generation of unbelief. Crazy. It's absolutely crazy. So God had to wait for people to be born in the desert who hadn't seen the sea part, who hadn't seen the seven plagues, who hadn't seen Pharaoh set them free and then drown in the river, who hadn't seen quail sent to them, who hadn't seen manna come from heaven, who hadn't seen the pillar of cloud, the pillar of fire, and those are the people God had to back. That's why the Bible says, woe unto you who doesn't believe. Because Sodom and Gomorrah will rise up against you. Nineveh will rise up against you. They didn't see the miracles. Jesus even said that to the disciples. He says, many would wish to see what you have seen. Many prophets and kings wished to see what you saw. And they never saw. But yet they believed. So we also have to believe. We have to accept God's love. It is real. It is true. It is there. Accept his mercy. Accept his grace. How often should we forgive? We address this one. Um, I can tell you, boy, marriage will test this guy. Um, it will really and the, the, the crazy thing about it is a large part of offense is how you perceive things not necessarily that the other person is wrong which is the reason why you have to deal with your heart what are the consequences of unforgiveness see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many So the first thing, it causes great torment. You start living your life out of bitterness. The the thing that offended you becomes the God in your life. And it torments you. Secondly, it causes personal conflict. You are always on the move to find a fight. Always in the mood to fight. If you're always in the mood to fight, you need to check your heart. Every day, you're ready. Like, I'm just waiting. You. And the third thing, it causes a lack of victory in our lives. We no longer are able to conquer. Right? So we've spoken about sin. We've spoken about repentance. And we've spoken about unforgiveness. Now, we often don't know how to address these things. But there is a person who can help us address them. Right? One of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to empower us to conquer sin. It's to enable us to forgive and to convict us unto repentance. You know, the, the Holy Spirit, and, and I think there will be a delving into this in the next, next week, but a part of the reason why lots of us fail to actually conquer and win in life is because we try and do it alone. 
a human being carrying a Bible is not a conquering Christian. It is a human being believing in the Word of God, embracing the love of the Holy Spirit. Oh, man. You know, I just wish we all would just figure out how to love the Holy Spirit. You know, there are many examples in my own life where I've prayed before meetings or I've had dreams about circumstances and I've called people and said, what's going on in your life about one, two, three? And God intervenes massively because of the Holy Spirit. Right? He is the one. Let me tell you how important the Holy Spirit is because sometimes we, like treat, it as a, we treat the Holy Spirit as a sideshow. There's God the Father, he's the major one. Then God the Son who died for us. Then there's this guy. Right. This is what Jesus says at the end of, end of, end of Luke. He says in, 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 in King James English, no, he, says, he says, it is expedient that we, I go. The word expedient means it is the best thing for you that I go. So that he may come. Think about that. Jesus said to the same people who saw him walk on water. Those, they saw him do it. They're like, there he is walking, we're scared, but there he is. The same people who saw that, he says to them, listen, guys, listen, it is to your ultimate benefit that I go, so that he may come. My God, I, I want to know this guy. If, if Jesus himself is saying, I need to be out so that he can come, who is he? Right? It's important for us to embrace the power of the Holy Spirit. It's because through him we're able to do what we do. Your ability to reach out to your friends and family. Your ability to pray through difficult situations. Your ability to love even those who are unlovable by your standards is via the Holy Spirit. Is via the Holy Spirit. So I encourage you, take time this week. Just, if you can, just Google scriptures about the... They will blow your mind. Like the kind of compassion he had, the love he, like he has, the things he does for us. Right? And at some point we'll, we'll start sharing more testimonies about this. But at this point I just want to talk to all of us about these three things. Firstly, if you have sin in your life. Even if you were sinning last night, I'm talking to you, Yes. The Holy Spirit is here for you. That conviction you're feeling right now is the Holy Spirit working in your heart. You need to repent. You need to repent. For you who's holding unforgiveness, someone somewhere or something somewhere has offended you and hurt you, you need to let that go. The Holy Spirit is here for you today. And I'd like us to all stand And if any of you fall in these two categories, I want us to take, where's Uama Piano? He must start playing. Where's this guy? <laughs> um, um, we, need, we, 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 need, we need to start embracing the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. None like you, Jehovah. Bible says, I will look up to the hills. Where does my help cometh from? The help cometh from the Lord. 
Stephen goes further and asks, who is this Lord? Who is this King? Who is this King of glory? The Bible says, it's the Lord strong and mighty. It is the Lord mighty in battle. So we want to pray today for you. We want you to take this time right now just to pray. Say, Lord, I repent. I change. I change. Come on, start praying. Don't wait for me. I change, Lord. I'm walking away from this. I don't want to live this life, Lord. I don't want to live this life. Come on. Oh, yes, Lord. I don't want to live this life. Let's embrace the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come into our lives. Come into our lives, Holy Spirit. Come into our lives, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. And the second one, I want to talk to those people who, has, who haven't been baptized in the Holy Spirit. You are functioning as a disabled Christian. You are not embracing the full power of God. And those of you who have not been baptized in the Holy Spirit or don't even know what that means, I want to ask you to come forward right now so we can pray for you. Don't be shy. Grab your things. Come forward. Don't, don't be shy. Just come forward. For those of you who have never been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. So I'm assuming everyone's baptized in the Holy Spirit. Or people are scared. Okay, my last prayer point. Then I can get off Pastor Rico's standing. It means I must leave. Wanna, wanna, wanna. Ah, great. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Quickly, um, we want to address this demon that's trying to impose itself on South Africa. We want to address this guy. This violence, this bloodshed, this lack of security of our women and children. We want to deal with this fellow. You know, the Bible says we, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. So it's not humans. It's principalities and powers and rulers of this dark world that are infecting the hearts of people. So we want to address this thing. So I want you to join me in prayer and then we'll, lead, we'll, we'll leave to the big leaders after that. But Heavenly Father, we come before you today. We address this wickedness that's trying to oppress this nation right now. We declare, my God, that this bloodshed will not lead and conquer our nation. Ho, oh, ho, we address you, wicked spirit, seeking to entrench yourself in this house. We rebuke you in the power of the blood of Jesus. You will not have rule or reign over us. You will not have rule or reign over us. We rebuke you by the power of the blood of Jesus. Come on, be aggressive. This is a serious thing. Father, we address this issue. And we declare the power of the living God over our nation. Lord, there are women who are hurting. There are children who are broken because of this. We rebuke the spirit in the power of the blood of Jesus. 
Father, by all the power that you are known to be God, address this matter. Oh Lord, we lament. We lament, Lord. Oh Father, we pray you come in like a flood, Lord. Take over our nation. Turn the hearts of the wicked to righteousness, God. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name, amen.